Untangling Karma, Intimate Zen Stories on Healing Trauma. Author Judith Regeer is here to tell us about the book. This book is at once a love letter to Zen practice and a critic of late 20th century American Zen. Judith inspires us to investigate our own karmic knots. Next on Healing From Within with Tony Valen. Hi, I'm Tony Valen. Welcome. Today we have Judith Regeer. She is the author of Untangling Karma, Intimate Zen Stories on Healing Trauma. Judith, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Well, thank you. Uh, my first question to you is going to be, uh, can you give us a brief history of who you are and how you became the person that you are today? Well, um, I am a mom. I have two adult sons. I uh, have been married for 45 years. I had a difficult childhood emotionally and young adulthood. And a lot of the book is about how I recovered or mended from my early childhood. Mm. I was a dancer. I danced in New York City, uh, kind of with a big wig. Uh, Trisha Brown Dance Company, and I was an oriental medical doctor doing acupuncture and Chinese herbs, and then finally I became a Zen priest and Zen teacher, and that's kind of my tapestry of things that make up who I am. I love that word, tapestry. Um, so uh, in writing this book, can you tell us what you hope people will get from reading this book? Well, the book is a very raw book. That's what I've been told. I really wanted to go deeply into my stories to the very bottom because I thought that if I did that, they would become more universal or human. People would be able to resonate with them. Mm. And um, so what I'm hoping, what I'm hoping is to give hope to people who have had trauma in their life, which is a lot of us. Um, I mean, culturally, there's cultural trauma. Uh, you know, at least 25% of people in America have sexual trauma. Uh, there's intergenerational trauma. And my book is about how I worked with braiding together uh, a very deep spirituality and meditation, um, psychotherapy, 12-step recovery, nonviolent communication, and helping myself recover. So I hope the, I want the book to give hope that there is a possibility of mending yourself from a lot of different uh, hurts that you might have accumulated over your life. Yeah. Um, could you give uh, 
people guidance, uh, you know, just a brief guidance as to how we can communicate uh, without any violence or without, you know, getting angry or out of control? Because I know that a lot of people I've spoke to that, you know, deal with, uh, they deal with triggers, you know, they, they deal with people and uh, certain situations that trigger them. And uh, is there a specific thing we could, you know, recommend to them to help them, you know, get past the anger and, and solution for a solution? Well, getting past the anger, that requires all this work that I'm talking about in the book of digestion of your own hurts and uh, releasing of your own inner issues. And then you're clearer to work with other people. And also, I had to work very hard on what is called right speech in a Buddhist the Buddhist world. And I did that through a really deeply studying nonviolent communication, which is a system that's taught now, uh, which is about um, learning how to connect with someone when you're talking with them and not having them be the opposition, like as a human being, connecting with them as a human being and staying with uh, expressing yourself through the your own feelings and needs and requests, which is kind of different than judgment, strategizing, giving advice, uncontrolled emotions. How's well, that? Did that? You no, know, that, that's perfect. Yeah, yeah. Because that's the thing about it. You you hit a point that uh, you know a lot of people have mentioned to me is that when they get into these conversations, instead of seeing another human being having you know their own situation and they may be acting out of their own hurt they take it personally and it's all about me and how they're treating me so they immediately start strategizing and figuring out how they're going to win the argument and and uh so yeah the, one of the themes of the book is the victim perpetrator uh rotating that uh if you're a victim, often you become the perpetrator by through your rage. Yeah. And if you're the perpetrator, if you, uh, there's a great Longfellow quote that says, if you knew the stories of your perpetrator, you would be able to see them as a human. So that helix of victim perpetrator going round and round is one of the concepts that I think we have to deeply understand in order to forgive our world and our pe the people who have hurt us and also the people we think of as our enemy. Right, exactly. Um, in your book, you talk about karmic knots. Can you tell us what you mean by that and how do we even begin to deal with our karmic knots? So, um, that's a K-N-O-T-S, a, a tangle, a karmic okay. tangle. And uh, my thought is, if you have a injury uh, or something happens to you that's wounding, if you're not able, and we often are not, able to process on the spot the emotions that arise from this wounding, what happens is we stuff them down <laughs> till so that we can manage, like uh, children often cannot handle what's happening in their outer environment. So we stuff it in our bodies somewhere 
I call this body armoring. And so a knot is emotional and it's physical and it does affect your spirituality because we're holding hatred or anger stuffed somewhere in the body. And a lot of spiritual purification, some uh, religions call it, is really sitting long enough so that we can begin to feel these knots in ourselves and to massage them and to understand them and to work with them until they get metabolized or digested. And then hopefully we can release them. And I just like to say, I don't think we do 100% healing or 100% releasing. I'm these days I'm saying I'm satisfied with 80%. If I get 80%, hallelujah, what more could I ask for? Um, so it's not that you're going to let go and never feel it again. We do have scars, but because we've metabolized it enough, they don't interfere with our sense of the present moment, our sense of being able to connect with people, and being able to love. I see. Do you think that by hanging on to, let's say, anger or, or some other type of emotion within ourselves and just deal with it, do you think that eventually uh, shows up as a physical thing that happens to us? For example, cancer? Well, I think that's true. I mean, I think it's very complex how these knots entanglements happen. I, I do believe there's a strong connection with psychosomatic relationship, but I also am not really strict about it because sometimes that can make a person who is ill feel kind of Ill, guilty, like I caused this. And I don't think that's helpful at all. Right. Do you know what I mean by that? I do, absolutely. Um, and I, I was gonna ask you, you studied Buddhism. Uh, in Buddhism, what did you learn from that? And and what do you think? Because to me, it's such a mystery. I think it's a it's fascinating, but I, I, I don't know much about it. Can you tell us a little about that experience? Well, I met my teacher when I was about 25. And I learned how to be quiet, how to sit, how to pause, called meditation. Um, for long periods of time. And I think that was one of the ways I metabolized a lot of the suffering that I was feeling. Um, so one major thing in, in Buddhism is learning how to uh, be with yourself, learning how to be in the present moment, how to really be here. Be here now is the famous line and there's a lot of different veils that have to drop away for us to be really present in our life seizing our life because it's special there's only one of us it will never be recreated again and we do we will eventually die so we study the urgency of life and death we study how do you bring love into your behavior um, and how to really be present to your life. 
More than that? Yeah, no, that's great. And you know, and so when you, how long did it take you to get to this state of mind? Because I, it, I know it's in some ways it sounds so easy, but in other ways I feel like it's very difficult to really well, sit quietly. You know. So there is no state of mind. <laughs> Everything oh. is changing, which is one of the basic Buddhist principles. Mm. So it's a journey. It's a process. I think I did teach myself, teach my mind how to be more quiet. But even today, there's no stasis, stasis. There's no place where you're not practicing every single moment. What does it mean in this moment to be present? What's going on in my mind? Is there some way I can help my mind to stop spinning around and around? Is there a way I could respond to this moment appropriately and with an open heart? And that practice is constant. I have been practicing for over 40 years, but I do not claim to be a person who always knows what they want to do. Uh, what should they do? I'm not a person who claims uh, that I'm always happy or peaceful, but I have come to a deep acceptance of my life, a deep acceptance of the hurts that have happened to me, and a willingness to be available to my life exactly the way it is. And that's not easy. So I've practiced quite a lot to try to be available to this moment. Yes, I understand. Um, I know that for me personally, I've I've uh, also, you know, I meditate, but I also have learned to be a more peaceful person. But in order to do that, I have, I had to really, I, I can't even, I, I don't even know how I did it, but I, I found a place where I was able to find some hidden hurt that was really deep inside of me. And, and the reason I describe it that way is because there was this one time when I was just, totally relaxed and everything's fine with my life and I was just driving down the road and just in that peace and being there with myself all of a sudden this burst of emotion came up from God only knows where and I started bawling like a little baby and I and I couldn't figure out why I thought I was going crazy and but after all that happened I felt a release that from that day forward I, I feel like I, uh, how do I say it? The only other time I've ever felt like that is whenever I'm, you know, in, a, in frantic mode trying to get everything done. And then I get a phone call that someone that I love very much has passed. And unfortunately, when I'm in that state of mind, it's when I wake up and smell the coffee and realize all that can wait. What's important is family, love, and your own peace of mind. So yeah, that's another theme in the book is how do we metabolize or digest these old, old wounds, or even wounds that come from our ethnicity or intergenerational wounds, um, like if you're African-American, the wounds of slavery, if yeah. you're Jewish, which is my ethnic background, the wounds of the Holocaust, everybody has wounds. And one of the themes of the book is it's important that we're open to moving into the pain, learning how to just be with the pain. 
so that we can come to an understanding of what caused it and then that will help the pain release itself but if we keep avoiding the pain it never gets released so that's kind of what happened to you right yeah oh yeah most definitely but uh, the other the other uh, i'm lucky I, I i i do feel very lucky that i i came to that place in my life and in my understanding but you know for someone that may still be looking for that yet having to deal in today's world you know with everything going on i don't really need to mention a specific event because there's so much chaos around us and so much emotion and so much uh well we all get caught up in the crazy how can we possibly find peace when there's chaos all around us so that's why it's very, very important to have a daily spiritual practice. Because unless we stop the momentum, the onslaught of all these external difficulties at some point in the day, it's hard. You can't even keep up with yourself. So I think that pausing and having enough time to self-connect, to reconnect with yourself, to connect with whatever higher power or awe that you might be able to feel, that can recenter you so that you can go out back into the world and see, is there any small possibility of helping this world that is on fire at the moment? Because mm. that's the only thing we can do. We can only help, it's usually in small ways, unless you're in the Senate or something like that. <laughs> but even then, they can't do it. Yeah. So you have to help in the small ways. And what's ever in your purview, what's ever really in your life that you can actually do. Right. Yeah. That you have, I think that gives people some some comfort in knowing that they do have some type of control. Uh, to making things well, better. The last time we talked, we talked about um, what can you do that's in your world. Yeah. One of the things that I did was I can teach meditation. So I found ways. I went to the prison. I taught meditation in prison. And then I went to Ujama Place, which is a not-for-profit for, for African-American men, 18 to 30. And I taught meditation to them, which was kind of unusual. And um, you had mentioned you'd like me to read that paragraph. I would love that. I love when you people read out of their own books because yeah, you know so the book more is, than anyone. This is a paragraph about what these young men who were certainly didn't know about Buddhism or, you know, they, they were from the street, mostly street kids what they got from learning how to pause, from learning how to meditate. Let me see if I can find it. I did, uh, oh, here it is. So I would teach the meditation and sometimes the men would just leave. They weren't interested or it was too boring or whatever they decided. <laughs> yeah. But I did get people who would come, some people would come consistently. And here's a description of a little bit of what they said to me about how meditation helped them. 
At a recent benefit concert, some of the men approached me and smiling told me that they still meditated. After I had led a guided meditation for protection and loving kindness for the self, a thin boy who came often but always sat somewhat nervously and quietly in class participated in the, in the discussion and this is what he said. I never really understood self-love until this exercise. In order to do this visualization, I had to first find my soul and then bring it into my body so they could be together. At the same class, another man who was lying on the floor in relaxation pose lifted his head, looked up into my eyes and said, thank you so much for coming. This is better than any anger management class, which I have only understood in my head, but this I am feeling in my body. Well, that's, yeah. I think that's the the benefit, you know, of uh, doing exactly the the well meditation. I, I know that I do that all the time, and uh, I love that uh, they they had that response to what you were teaching. And I would like to just emphasize: it's not meditation alone. It's okay. also developing your character, maybe going to psychotherapy to figure out what are the issues. And for me, 12-step recovery was a very important part of healing. Mm, yeah. Um, so uh, I know that you've studied uh, Eastern and Western philosophy. What are some of the differences that you've noticed? Oh, wow. What a question. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Well, um, we are from different minds. Like the Asian mind is much more collective and the Western mind is much more individualized. So that's how do those two meet is one of the tensions that's in Buddhism today from East and West meeting. Like how, how do we work that out? Um, Uh, I think that um, in some ways the body-mind needs to be more integrated and not pulled apart. The body over here and the mind over there. Um, one thing is, um, I thought this is, uh, I, I just pulled up an image. I've always said that both of the societies have gone very, very deep. Uh, the Asian societies through meditation, I mean, they have done incredible meditation. They got to the center of the earth, the center of the world through meditation. And the West has gotten to the center of the world through science, but they both kind of meet like at the, you know, quantum physics level, they're mm -hmm. kind of finding they're kind of the same. So. Right. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. Um, and it, it before, you know, before we uh, end this uh, interview, I wanted to say, is there anything else that you wanted to show us? I know last time we spoke, uh, you showed us something that was really 
interesting. I would to love to. I would love to talk about kintsugi, which is a Japanese craft. And that craft um, is when you have a broken vessel in, in this Japanese craft, they glue all the parts together and then they use gold or silver to meld the cracks. And what happens is that the new vessel is also quite, quite beautiful. And I have used this image as um, what, what I've done with myself, that I was a shattered kind of person. And I very over 40 years put glued my, all the uh, separated parts of myself, the parts I'd left out, the parts I hated. I picked them all up and glued them together and tried through spirituality, through forgiveness, through loving kindness, put the gold in the cracks. And I also think that might be what we have to do with our society. I think our society is kind of broken and shatters, yeah. very divisive, and we don't have any unifying vessel anymore. So yeah. I pray and hope that we can pick up all the pieces, glue it together, and find the golden love that will make a new vessel. So I find that very, very inspiring. Yes, it is. Beautiful. Untangling Karma, the Intimate Zen Stories on Healing Trauma. Judith um, Ruggier, thank you so much for being on the show with us and telling us all about your book. And uh, I guess the only way people can really get the full effect of the book is to go get it. Where can they find the book? Well, it would be at, you could order it on any Buddhist, uh, not Buddhist, on any bookstore, you could order it. Mm -hmm. um, and you can go on my website and on the Untangling Karma page, there's a lot of different places you can order it. And there's also, because it just came out, there's a 20% discount so if you go on my website and press that, you can get a 20% discount. You could also get a signed copy if you uh, go to Subtext Bookstore in St. Paul. And what is your, your website? Uh, JudithRegeer.org. R-A-G-I-R. That's how you spell my last name. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for being in the show. We appreciate you. And thank you for coming again to talk to me. Okay, good. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you.